open your Bibles to Luke 18, 15 through 17. I want to tell you a story while you're looking. George Patton, an eight-year-old boy, started telling his friends that he had just shaken hands with the President of the United States. His friends, of course, jeered back. No, you didn't. So the president he was speaking of was one Abraham Lincoln. The year was 1861. George insisted he had shaken hands with the president one year earlier in Springfield, Illinois, where his dad worked as a journalist. And he was looking for a way to prove to his friends that he had actually shaken the president's hand. But being eight years old, of course, you have limited resources, right? As an eight-year-old boy, you have certain resources available to you. Uh, The basic three are, you know, being really annoying, right? Being pestering annoying. The second one is spit. All right, spit's very handy for an eight-year-old boy. The third is the ability to escape other people and to hide in very small spaces. Uh, Those are are the benefits of an eight-year-old boy, all right, and his resources. So, he went to someone else who could help him, his teacher. And he used one of these three resources, namely being very annoying. He asked her day after day to write the President of the United States to request that he respond and say that he had, in fact, met young George. Uh, and, And understandably, she did not want to do this. Right? I mean, you know humiliation, waste of time, these sorts of things. But day after day, he would walk right up to her and ask her, had you done it yet? Had you done it yet? Had you done it yet? So finally, she did it. And lo and behold, much to everyone's surprise, the President of the United States responded briefly with this letter. It said, Executive Mansion, March 19th, 1861. Whom it may concern, I did see and talk with Master George Evans Patton last May at Springfield, Illinois. Respectfully, A. Lincoln. Let's read together Luke 18, 15-17. Now they were bringing even infants to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Let's pray. Jesus, you prayed to your Heavenly Father on our behalf, saying, sanctify them. In other words, make them holy. Make them more like me. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Lord, we ask you would use this passage, these three verses, Lord, to grow us, to sanctify us, to make us more like your Son, Jesus. Help us grasp what the simple faith of a child looks like in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we read the story, and it's easy to think, and I've seen it used this way before, that this would be the perfect opportunity to uh, call out the kiddies, right, the chillins, call them out here. We'll have a little children's church Sunday morning. We can bring them out here. They can do a little choir thing, right? We can have them sing some song, which is a derivative of Veggie Tales in some respects, right? And it'd be good fun, you know, and I'd kind of gather them around, and I'd sit down with them and look them in the eye and tell them, Jesus loves you. And that would be great because Jesus does love them. But there'd be two problems with that. One, this is a lesson for adult disciples, not for kids. Jesus is addressing his adult disciples, not children here. The kids get it right, right? They had the simple trust in Jesus. And that's his point. Secondly, if the kids were out here, I read them this passage, and here's where the real problem would come in, and then parents would start shaking their fists at me. I would have to look the kids straight in the eye and tell them that Jesus applauds your faith, not because you're cute and innocent, but because you're incompetent. <laughs> and I'd have to say that to the children. All right, which, you know, Thankfully, the good news is they wouldn't know what incompetent means. Uh, so they'd be like, oh, great. And hopefully, my hope would be they start going around saying they're incontinent, which would be really funny. Uh, if you know what that word is, look it up later. Uh, if you don't know, look it up later because you'll laugh. Um, children more readily recognize helplessness. And so they unashamedly ask, even demand, give me a cookie, Right? Pour me some milk. Help me pick up the mess I made in the bathroom. Or one of my favorite, where are my pants? As they run around. <laughs> right? Kids know they can't do life on their own. And that's why children in this respect are our role models. Children are our role models of spiritual reality of our true spiritual state. And we are helpless. Totally dependent. Now with this passage we just read this morning, it's going to give you a little background. Uh, in Jesus' day, in Jesus' day, Jewish children, children all around Israel, Judah, that area, Children of the day were regarded as a burden. They were a burden until the time they were physically strong enough to help out the family, to contribute to the family. They were regarded as a burden until then. And at times, parents, right, we, can, uh, we really get this idea. Uh, this cute, the cute stuff, the affection, they're perks. Don't get me wrong, love them. But in terms of practical help, Children drain us until they can mow the lawn, right? Uh, and wash, wash the car without using all the soap to make frohawks, right? That's it. You know, until that point, <laughs> kind of a drain in terms of practical help. Except unless you're a United States citizen and then they help on tax returns. Woohoo! Yes, dependence. We love that. $1,000 each. Um, <laughs> it's terrible. All right. So the disciples see these kids, and what they would be thinking immediately is, they're not strong enough, and they can't help. And so, they rebuke them. Get away, you're wasting our time. And to their great surprise, this would have been a shock to them. 
that Jesus would have said, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Come here. I want to make a point here. I want to actually celebrate these kids and specifically their lack of strength and lack of contribution. This would have been very surprising for these disciples to hear this. After all, they've heard about kids, known about kids, seen in their own kids' life. In a nutshell, this morning, if you remember nothing else from the sermon, remember this. Jesus applauds children and encourages us to imitate them. Not because they're innocent, but because they're incompetent. And they're okay with that. It's not just that they're incompetent, they're okay with their incompetency. Jesus applauds children, encourages to imitate them, not because they're innocent, but because they're incompetent. You may look at this passage and think, I thought this was about simple faith, and it is. But Jesus applauds simple faith in a lot of places in Scripture, right? We remember the centurion soldier. Jesus says of him, there's not such great faith in all of Israel. We remember the Syrophoenician woman who says, I'll just take the crumbs that fall from the bread of the Jews. We remember the woman who comes and anoints Jesus' feet. And he says, wherever the gospel is told, what she has done for me will be told in memory of her. But something unique is going on about children and their faith. What makes their faith so pure, what makes it so simple, is their incompetency. We we'll give you some examples. We gave, gave you one, this eight-year-old George Patton. He knew he was incompetent. He couldn't prove anything to his friends. Right? He's eight years old. What are you going to do? So he goes straight to the top, right? He appeals to the President of the United States of America. Only an eight-year-old boy would do that. Right? My oldest son, Mason, is incompetent to produce robots. Right, which one would think that's natural. Even while it might seem far-fetched, even to a five-year-old, it doesn't stop him from asking me to build robots for him. Okay? I told him about the dangers of robots. We all know about if robots were to really be built. Right? I told him, look, man, you can't stop robots. Once you build one, they're going to take over your lives. They're going to eat everything in the fridge, and they're going to take our medications and eat them. Everything is going to be gone. People know that about robots. So I tried to scare him. But that didn't work. It didn't work. It wasn't until I told him how many times I've been electrocuted uh, through playing with wires and things that were robot-esque that he finally left me alone. And he realized his dad couldn't help him. So he went to his grandfather. And he continues the request to this day. Make me some robots. (laughs) Big requests. Big requests don't phase those who know that they can't produce but have faith in another can. And you see, Jesus relishes this. He relishes this contented, bold dependency. I want to break that phrase down. A content, contented, bold dependency. I said three words there. Uh, it's a dependency that's contented. As we saw with these children. They don't mind. It doesn't bother them. It doesn't shame them to go to someone and say, look, I need help. Give me the goods. And it's bold. Look at you in the eye. They don't try to butter you up. They just ask you, where's my cookie? Right? 
Jesus relishes this kind of dependency. Why? Because it makes you and I more like him. Makes you and I more like him. Check this out. Jesus describes in John chapter 6 his relationship with the Father. John 6, 57 he says this. He says, just as the living Father sent me, and he's talking to his disciples here, just as the living Father sent me, and I live only because of the Father. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am completely dependent on the Father. I acknowledge him. I can only do what I see my Father doing. He says, so it is with you. Whoever feeds on me will live because of me. You ever stop and stop and listen to that language? Whoever feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus is saying, imitate what I do with the Father. Become like me. Dependent. Jesus is talking about being a parasite. Right? Being a parasite of him. So completely dependent that you rely on nothing else but him. It's a parasitic relationship with Jesus who radically dependent on his Father and calls us to do the same. I had one of those weeks this week where I, I felt like I couldn't give 100% to anyone or anything. You know, you ever had a week like that? You had a week like that recently where you, you felt like, man, I can't... It's just frustrating. You can't give 100% to anything. So you get bits and pieces to each person, scraps to people who come your way. I was scheduled this week to have a prayer and study retreat for just a few days, midweek. So I do this to prepare um, and lay some groundwork for the fall, for both some things we're doing otherwise, but also sermon stuff. So I worked really hard last week. I worked extra hard to sort of um, just get things ready, have extra meetings, you know, get stuff ready so that I could have this block of time and but between, between my, own, my own work permit, and we're all familiar with this, right? My own work permit, my wife's work permit, urgent church business matters, marriages that needed attention, and unexpected emergencies, I was torn between people and needs all week long, and I was just left off by Thursday just feeling frustrated, you know? And so I prayed, Abba, Father, I, I cannot do this on my own. It, it's, and it's just frustrating. Other people seem like they can do it. They can keep it going. But I don't feel like I can do it. Now, in retrospect, God had me right where he wanted me. Right? Because from there, I threw caution to the wind. Threw my pride out the door. You know, and I started praying more boldly and specifically. God, help me just pray for five minutes. Just five minutes without being distracted. Help this person's marriage where my inattention has failed them. Take care of this person's need, a need I hardly acknowledged. Provide for my family where I forgot to cross T's and dot I's. God, it's overwhelming, you know. You've got to come through. This is my prayer. What does God's word say about this kind of bold prayer, just specific prayer? Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this. We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, 
it was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I've often heard this verse, you may have as well, and I think about immediately how truly amazing it is that we'd have a God who would so identify with us to know every temptation, every potential weakness. But in knowing that, what we often miss is what his identifying with us actually accomplishes for us. And that is because Jesus identified us to the point of dying on a cross for us, becoming human and dying a death we deserved. It accomplishes for us this ability to boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, to receive mercy, to find grace, to help us in our time of need. Let's break this down here for a minute. A bold confidence. A bold confidence to receive help. Let's think about this here. Usually, when we ask for help, we do so sheepishly. Or we don't look someone in the eye, right? We kind of do like a, hey, um, I think you might, you know, one of these, right? If we even ask for help. But if you have trusted your life to Jesus, you can go to him confidently. Here's where children are our role models. They look someone in the eye and they boldly go for broke, don't they? God delights in such bold confidence dependency. And I've personally seen in my own life how he delights to answer such prayers. He tells us so in his word. Again, speaking of children, he says in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, which of you if his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. If then, if you then, who are evil, in other words, you're sinful in nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Right? Our Father delights to graciously answer these prayers of a child who is fully dependent but bold about asking him for help. He loves it. What are some needs for which you can boldly approach the throne of grace in your life? What are some real needs? And when we ask this question, we have to start by being honest with ourselves and honest with God about the simplest needs we have. Ones which you cannot provide on your own. It might be having one of those weeks like mine where you can't give 100% to anyone, it seems. Lord, would you provide, would you provide and help me be okay? Help me be content with you doing it. Maybe it's provision for a family member who is lost or hurting and you've done all that you can. Maybe it's a spouse who seems to have lost interest either in you or in the God she once worshipped or he once worshipped. Maybe it's an outlet or venue. You love a place where God can use you. The need might be a simple 
touch from someone or a big bear hug. Or maybe it's a patient or listening ear. Or maybe it's something that's kind of embarrassing to say, you know, just motivation to do anything around the house. I just don't want to do it today. These are needs that we're so often embarrassed to admit, but so incompetent to provide on our own. And if you've trusted your life to Jesus, you are a child of the Father and invited to boldly approach his throne. There's one more thing we can learn this morning from this passage. That's the children don't come with the biggest problems, but they come with real problems. Right? As a former youth pastor, I used to work with older children. Uh, some call them teenagers. Uh, and I loved it. It was a great time. If, you're, if you remember your teenage years, it's an incredibly impressionable time of life. I always used to tell people, look, someone's going to have an impression on these young men and women. It may as well be Jesus. Right? So anyway, I loved it. It was such an impressionable time of life, but one of the harder aspects for me were the everyday concerns and problems teens often brought to the table. It wore on me at times. Uh, prayer requests about pretty girls escorting one to the prom, right? These are the needs. What would you like me to pray for? So-and-so would go to the prom with me. Yes, okay. Uh, anger. Anger about who befriended who on Facebook, right? Uh, I remember on one trip I went on, uh, God had to do a full-blown work of reconciliation to bring two persons together over uh, whose 7-Eleven big gulp squishy cup was being drank from in the back of the bus. All right, this, like, we had to have, like, have an intervention that lasted almost an entire day over this issue. But, you know, tell a young teenager suffering from a broken heart that her suffering isn't like the suffering of an imprisoned pastor in China. And we miss the point. We're just like the disciples, right? Who rebuke. And Jesus had to sternly warn them, do not hinder the children. Don't hinder children. Jesus calls us to be his ambassadors for the gospel, his representatives here on earth. So when someone comes to me with problems that don't seem big but are incredibly real, if I convey half-hearted interest, right? Or, or my prayers, you know, I don't pray very much. You know, I may say a quick prayer, but eventually my prayers wane for that person. And I worry more about how I can get them to stop talking about this problem than I do about holding out the vibrant hope of the gospel. Then I have hindered children. I have hindered children from coming before their father's throne. God delights in real needs. These needs and concerns, while not the biggest and the baddest, are remarkably real. And the reason, I, I think, maybe suggest, the reason we may not want to hear them is that you no longer want to bring, want to be honest about bringing your own needs and concerns before your father. Right? I found that I, I start to lose touch with just being honest about the simplest of things with my father in heaven.
And so, in turn, I get annoyed with others. Gosh, it's so petty. Gosh, that need is so inane. Well, how's your prayer life? As I mentioned before, this is our last in our series, The Overlooked Jesus. Luke 15 through 18, we've looked at the usually rare, often overlooked, and regularly surprising teachings of Jesus Christ. I want to review specifically a sampling of these surprises, surprise teachings. Jesus told us not to take a leap of faith, but to sit down, get out our calculator, and take a hard look at what you're getting into. He speaks of a God who requires nothing in return for taking us back and forgiving us. He encourages us to use money to make friends for heaven. He warns us of the urgency of the moment when everyone else says, hey, you're going to get through this and be okay. He gives us a reason to carry on that goes beyond Hallmark cards and romantic comedies and the reasons they give us. He stops to appreciate the smallish, normal faith. While the next thing we know, he's contending for a raging rebellion in his disciples' lives. Not what we would expect it, right? Not what we would expect it from God in the flesh. But a reality, friends, is usually odd, isn't it? Author C.S. Lewis, speaking of Christianity, Christ of Christianity, says this. He says, It is not neat. It is not obvious. It is not what you'd expect. That is one of the reasons I believe in Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. If it, had, if it offered us just the kind of universe we'd always expected, I should feel we were making it up. I love this next line. He says, So let us leave behind all these boys' philosophies. These over simple answers. My hope and prayer is that you have seen this truth from Jesus and his word, his teaching over the last number of weeks. Because it's the radical nature, it's the surprising nature of what he teaches us. That we, it's that that we so love about Jesus. Someone even dying on a wooden stick would not be what we expected to make us go to heaven, to be with the God of the universe. It is radical. It is crazy. His teachings fit with that because he asks us to turn our world and our principles upside down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are completely dependent, who are even parasites of God. What about you? Are you what we'd expect? Or is there a regular surprising, regularly surprising and usually rare quality about how you live in response to Jesus Christ and his teachings? A great question to ask yourself this summer, especially I know a number of us are getting away for a little bit, if that's the case with you. Or if it's not, a good question to ask ourselves is, is there a regularly surprising or rare work 
that Jesus is producing in and through me? Is there something about my life that has a regularly rare quality to it? A rare work that Jesus is producing in me. I would encourage you, friends, to ask a friend, ask a spouse what they see. I would encourage you, go back through Luke 15 through 18, ask God what he sees in your life. Ask hard questions, pray, reflect, take stock. And where you fall short, where you have need, remember our true spiritual role models. Little children. Occasionally annoying, sometimes pestering, completely incompetent kids who know they can't do anything on their own, so they have no problems going to someone who can do something about it. Because the reality is, all of us are in the same position, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We're all incompetent. Living a life for God. We're all incompetent to living the life that God designed us to live. So, you can do something about it. You have the choice. I can be okay with it and run to my father who can help me. Or I can try this year like I do every year to pick myself up on my own bootstraps and get it together. My prayer is that you join me you join me among the bold, incompetent dependents who are loved by their Heavenly Father. Let's pray. <clears throat> Abba Father, we thank you for this morning. Oh Lord, I admit my immediately response to my own sermon, <laughs> which is your word, Lord, is just to be offended or apathetic. I mean, incompetent, really? Oh, but Lord, if we truly look at our hearts and we looked at all our efforts to try to live well, achieve success, satisfy our hearts, we would ask that question that Dr. Phil likes to ask a lot. How's that working out for you? I think if we were honest with ourselves, we, we would say, not so well. But Jesus, you provide another alternative through Jesus Christ. Jesus who said, yet to all who received him, to those who believe in, in my name, I've given the right to become children of God. Jesus, you've given us this right to be children of the Father who can just Enjoy being with the Father. Humble ourselves and not mind that we can't do it on our own. God, transform our hearts and our minds to be bold and competent dependents who can draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. Help us look at our lives, Lord, and where we can do this specifically. Where are the needs in our life that, yeah, it might be embarrassing to ask, 
it might feel beneath us to ask, but you so delight in helping us, and so you want us to ask. Do this work in us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.